Chapter One, Part Seven of Memoirs of Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds, Volume Two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Memoirs of Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of Crowds by Charles Mackay. Volume Two chapter one the crusades part seven in the meantime saint bernard passed into germany where similar success attended his preaching the renown of his sanctity had gone before him and he found everywhere an admiring audience thousands of people who could not understand a word he said flocked around him to catch a glimpse of so holy a man and the knights enrolled themselves in great numbers in the service of the cross each receiving from his hands the symbol of the cause but the people were not led away as in the days of gottschalk we do not find that they rose in such tremendous masses of two and three hundred thousand men swarming over the country like a plague of locusts still the enthusiasm was very great the extraordinary tales that were told and believed of the miracles worked by the preacher brought the country people from far and near devils were said to vanish at his sight and diseases of the most malignant nature to be cured by his touch footnote philip archdeacon of the cathedral of liege wrote a detailed account of all the miracles performed by saint bernard during thirty-four days of his mission they averaged about ten per day the disciples of st bernard complained bitterly that the people flocked around their master in such numbers that they could not see half the miracles he performed but they willingly trusted the eyes of others as far as faith in the miracles went and seemed to vie with each other whose credulity should be greatest End footnote. the emperor conrad caught at last the contagion from his subjects and declared his intention to follow the cross the preparations were carried on so vigorously under the orders of conrad that in less than three months he found himself at the head of an army containing at least one hundred and fifty thousand effective men besides a great number of women who followed their husbands and lovers to the war one troop of them rode in the attitude and armor of men their chief wore gilt spurs and buskins and thence acquired the epithet of the golden-footed lady conrad was ready to set out long before the french monarch and in the month of june eleven forty seven he arrived before constantinople having passed through hungary and bulgaria without offence to the inhabitants manuel comnenus the greek emperor successor not only to the throne but to the policy of alexius looked with alarm upon the new levies who had come to eat up his capital and imperil its tranquillity too weak to refuse them a passage through his dominions too distrustful of them to make them welcome when they came and too little assured of the advantages likely to result to himself from the war to feign a friendship which he did not feel 
the greek emperor gave offence at the very outset his subjects in the pride of superior civilization called the germans barbarians while the latter who if semi-barbarous were at least honest and straightforward retorted upon the greeks by calling them double-faced knaves and traitors disputes continually arose between them and conrad who had preserved so much good order among his followers during their passage was unable to restrain their indignation when they arrived at constantinople for some offence or other which the greeks had given them but which is rather hinted at than stated by the scanty historians of the day the germans broke into the magnificent pleasure garden of the emperor where he had a valuable collection of tame animals for which the grounds had been laid out in woods caverns groves and streams that each might follow in captivity his natural habits the enraged germans meriting the name of barbarians that had been bestowed upon them laid waste this pleasant retreat and killed or let loose the valuable animals it contained manuel who is said to have beheld the devastation from his palace windows without power or courage to prevent it was completely disgusted with his guests and resolved like his predecessor alexius to get rid of them on the first opportunity he sent a message to conrad respectfully desiring an interview but the german refused to trust himself within the walls of constantinople the greek emperor on his part thought it compatible neither with his dignity nor his safety to seek the german and several days were spent in insincere negotiations manuel at length agreed to furnish the crusading army with guides to conduct it through asia minor and conrad passed over the hellespont with his forces the advanced guard being commanded by himself and the rear by the warlike bishop of Freisingen. historians are almost unanimous in their belief that the wily greek gave instructions to his guides to lead the army of the german emperor into dangers and difficulties it is certain that instead of guiding them through such districts of asia minor as afforded water and provisions they led them into the wilds of cappadocia where neither was to be procured and where they were suddenly attacked by the sultan of the seljukian turks at the head of an immense force the guides whose treachery is apparent from this fact alone fled at the first sight of the turkish army and the christians were left to wage unequal warfare with their enemy entangled and bewildered in desert wilds toiling in their heavy mail the germans could make but little effective resistance to the attacks of the turkish light horse who were down upon them one instant and out of sight the next now in the front and now in the rear the agile foe showered his arrows upon them enticing them into swamps and hollows from which they could only extricate themselves after long struggles and great losses the germans confounded by this mode of warfare lost all conception of the direction they were pursuing and went back instead of forward suffering at the same time for want of provisions 
they fell an easy prey to their pursuers count bernhard one of the bravest leaders of the german expedition was surrounded with his whole division not one of whom escaped the turkish arrows the emperor himself had nearly fallen a victim and was twice severely wounded so persevering was the enemy and so little able were the germans to make even a shoe of resistance that when conrad at last reached the city of nice he found that instead of being at the head of an imposing force of one hundred thousand foot and seventy thousand horse he had but fifty or sixty thousand men and these in the most worn and wearied condition totally ignorant of the treachery of the greek emperor although he had been warned to beware of it louis the seventh proceeded at the head of his army through worms and ratisbon towards constantinople at ratisbon he was met by a deputation from manuel bearing letters so full of hyperbole and flattery that louis is reported to have blushed when they were read to him by the bishop of langres the object of the deputation was to obtain from the french king a promise to pass through the grecian territories in a peaceable and friendly manner and to yield to the greek emperor any conquest he might make in asia minor the first part of the proposition was immediately acceded to but no notice was taken of the second and more unreasonable louis marched on and passing through hungary pitched his tents in the outskirts of constantinople on his arrival manuel sent him a friendly invitation to enter the city at the head of a small train louis at once accepted it and was met by the emperor at the porch of his palace the fairest promises were made every art that flattery could suggest was resorted to and every argument employed to induce him to yield his future conquests to the greek louis obstinately refused to pledge himself and returned to his army convinced that the emperor was a man not to be trusted negotiations were however continued for several days to the great dissatisfaction of the french army the news that arrived of a treaty entered into between manuel and the turkish sultan changed their dissatisfaction into fury and the leaders demanded to be led against constantinople swearing that they would raise the treacherous city to the ground louis did not feel inclined to accede to this proposal and breaking up his camp he crossed over into asia here he heard for the first time of the mishaps of the german emperor whom he found in a woeful plight under the walls of nice the two monarchs united their forces and marched together along the sea-coast to ephesus but conrad jealous it would appear of the superior numbers of the french and not liking to sink into a vassal for the time being of his rival withdrew abruptly with the remnant of his legions and returned to constantinople manuel was all smiles and courtesy he condoled with the germans so feelingly upon his losses and cursed the stupidity or treachery of the guides with such apparent heartiness 
that Conrad was half inclined to believe in his sincerity. Louis, marching onward in the direction of Jerusalem, came up with the enemy on the banks of the Meander. The Turks contested the passage of the river, but the French bribed a peasant to point out a ford lower down. Crossing the river without difficulty, they attacked the Turks with much vigor and put them to flight. Whether the Turks were really defeated, or merely pretended to be so, is doubtful, but the latter supposition seems to be the true one. It is probable that it was part of a concerted plan to draw the invaders onwards to more unfavorable ground, where their destruction might be more certain. If such were the scheme, it succeeded to the heart's wish of its projectors. The Crusaders, on the third day after their victory, arrived at a steep mountain pass, on the summit of which the Turkish host lay concealed so artfully that not the slightest vestige of their presence could be perceived. Quote, With laboring steps and slow, end quote, they toiled up the steep ascent, when suddenly a tremendous fragment of rock came bounding down the precipices with an awful crash, bearing dismay and death before it. At the same instant, the Turkish archers started from their hiding places and discharged a shower of arrows upon the foot soldiers who fell by hundreds at a time. The arrows rebounded harmlessly against the iron mail of the knights, which the Turks, observing, took aim at their steeds, and horse and rider fell down the steep into the rapid torrent which rushed below. Louis, who commanded the rear guard, received the first intimation of the onslaught from the sight of the wounded and flying soldiers, and, not knowing the numbers of the enemy, he pushed vigorously forward to stay, by his presence, the panic which had taken possession of his army. All his efforts were in vain. Immense stones continued to be hurled upon them as they advanced, bearing men and horse before them, and those who succeeded in forcing their way to the top were met hand to hand by the Turks and cast down headlong upon their companions. Louis himself fought with the energy of desperation, but had great difficulty to avoid falling into the enemy's hands. He escaped at last under cover of the night, with the remnant of his forces, and took up his position before Atalia. Here he restored the discipline and the courage of his disorganized and disheartened followers, and debated with his captains the plan that was to be pursued. After suffering severely both from disease and famine, it was resolved that they should march to Antioch, which still remained an independent principality under the successors of Bohemond of Tarentum. At this time, the sovereignty was vested in the person of Raymond, the uncle of Eleanor of Aquitaine. This prince, presuming upon his relationship to the French queen, endeavored to withdraw Louis from the grand object of the crusade, the defense of the kingdom of Jerusalem, and secure his cooperation in extending the limits and the power of his principality of Antioch. 
the prince of tripoli formed a similar design but louis rejected the offers of both and marched after a short delay to jerusalem the emperor conrad was there before him having left constantinople with promises of assistance from manuel comnenus assistance which never arrived and was never intended a great council of the christian princes of palestine and the leaders of the crusade was then summoned to discuss the future operations of the war it was ultimately determined that it would further the cause of the cross in a greater degree if the united armies instead of proceeding to edessa laid siege to the city of damascus and drove the saracens from that strong position this was a bold scheme and had it been boldly followed out would have ensured in all probability the success of the war but the christian leaders never learned from experience the necessity of union that very soul of great enterprises though they all agreed upon the policy of the plan yet every one had his own notions as to the means of executing it the princes of antioch and tripoli were jealous of each other and of the king of jerusalem the emperor conrad was jealous of the king of france and the king of france was disgusted with them all but he had come out to palestine in accordance with a solemn vow his religion though it may be called bigotry was sincere and he determined to remain to the very last moment that a chance was left of effecting any good for the cause he had set his heart on the siege of damascus was accordingly commenced and with so much ability and vigor that the christians gained a considerable advantage at the very outset for weeks the siege was pressed till the shattered fortifications and diminishing resistance of the besieged gave evidence that the city could not hold out much longer at that moment the insane jealousy of the leaders led to dissensions that soon caused the utter failure not only of the siege but of the crusade a modern cookery book in giving a recipe for cooking a hare says quote, first catch your hare and then kill it end quote, a maxim of indisputable wisdom the christian chiefs on this occasion had not so much sagacity for they began a violent dispute among themselves for the possession of a city which was still unconquered there being already a prince of antioch and a prince of tripoli twenty claimants started for the principality of damascus and a grand council of the leaders was held to determine the individual on whom the honor should devolve many valuable days were wasted in this discussion the enemy in the meanwhile gaining strength from their inactivity it was at length after a stormy deliberation agreed that count robert of flanders who had twice visited the holy land should be invested with the dignity the other claimants refused to recognize him or to cooperate in the siege until a more equitable arrangement had been made suspicion filled the camp the most sinister rumors of intrigues and treachery were set afloat 
and the discontented candidates withdrew at last to the other side of the city and commenced operations on their own account without a probability of success they were soon joined by the rest of the army the consequence was that the weakest side of the city and that on which they had already made considerable progress in the work of demolition was left uncovered the enemy was prompt to profit by the mistake and received an abundant supply of provisions and refortified the walls before the crusaders came to their senses again when this desirable event happened it was too late saf edin the powerful emir of Mosul was in the neighborhood at the head of a large army advancing by forced marches to the relief of the city the siege was abruptly abandoned and the foolish crusaders returned to jerusalem having done nothing to weaken the enemy but everything to weaken themselves the freshness of enthusiasm had now completely subsided even the meanest soldiers were sick at heart conrad from whose fierce zeal at the outset so much might have been expected was wearied with reverses and returned to europe with the poor remnant of his host louis lingered a short time longer for very shame but the pressing solicitations of his minister suger induced him to return to france thus ended the second crusade its history is but a chronicle of defeats it left the kingdom of jerusalem in a worse state than when it quitted europe and gained nothing but disgrace for its leaders and discouragement for all concerned saint bernard who had prophesied a result so different fell after this into some disrepute and experienced like many other prophets the fate of being without honor in his own country what made the matter worse he could not obtain it in any other still however there were not wanting zealous advocates to stand forward in his behalf and stem the tide of incredulity which unopposed would have carried away his reputation the bishop of freisingen declared that prophets were not always able to prophesy and that the vices of the crusaders drew down the wrath of heaven upon them but the most ingenious excuse ever made for saint bernard is to be found in his life by geoffroy de clairvaux where he pertinaciously insists that the crusade was not unfortunate saint bernard he says had prophesied a happy result and that result could not be considered other than happy which had peopled heaven with so glorious an army of martyrs geoffroy was a cunning pleader and no doubt convinced a few of the zealous but plain people who were not wanting even in those days retained their own opinion or what amounts to the same thing quote, were convinced against their will end quote. we now come to the consideration of the third crusade and of the causes which rendered it necessary the epidemic frenzy which had been cooling ever since the issue of the first expedition was now extinct or very nearly so and the nations of europe looked with cold indifference upon the armaments of their princes but 
chivalry had flourished in its natural element of war and was now in all its glory it continued to supply armies for the holy land when the popular ranks refused to deliver up their able-bodied swarms poetry which more than religion inspired the third crusade was then but quote, caviar to the million end quote, who had other matters of sterner import to claim all their attention but the knights and their retainers listened with delight to the martial and amatory strains of the minstrels minnesangers trouvères and troubadours and burned to win favour in ladies eyes by shewing prowess in the holy land the third was truly the romantic era of the crusades men fought then not so much for the sepulchre of jesus and the maintenance of a christian kingdom in the east as to gain glory for themselves in the best and almost only field where glory could be obtained they fought not as zealots but as soldiers not for religion but for honour not for the crown of martyrdom but for the favour of the lovely it is not necessary to enter into a detail of the events by which saladin attained the sovereignty of the east or how after a succession of engagements he planted the moslem banner once more upon the battlements of jerusalem the christian knights and population including the grand orders of st john the hospitallers and the templars were sunk in an abyss of vice and torn by unworthy jealousies and dissensions were unable to resist the well-trained armies which the wise and mighty saladin brought forward to crush them but the news of their fall created a painful sensation among the chivalry of europe whose noblest members were linked to the dwellers in palestine by many ties both of blood and friendship the news of the great battle of tiberius in which saladin defeated the christian host with terrible slaughter arrived first in europe and was followed in quick succession by that of the capture of jerusalem antioch tripoli and other cities dismay seized upon the clergy the pope urban the third was so affected by the news that he pined away for grief and was scarcely seen to smile again until he sank into the sleep of death his successor gregory the eighth felt the loss as acutely but had better strength to bear it and instructed all the clergy of the christian world to stir up the people to arms for the recovery of the holy sepulchre william archbishop of tyre a humble follower in the path of peter the hermit left palestine to preach to the kings of europe the miseries he had witnessed and to incite them to the rescue the renowned frederick barbarossa the emperor of germany speedily collected an army and passing over into syria with less delay than had ever before awaited a crusading force defeated the saracens and took possession of the city of iconium he was unfortunately cut off in the middle of his successful career by imprudently bathing in the sidness footnote the desire of comparing two great men has tempted many writers to drown frederick in the river sidness 
in which alexander so imprudently bathed but from the march of the emperor i rather judge that his salaf is the calicadnus a stream of less fame but of a longer course gibbon End footnote. while he was overheated and the duke of swabia took the command of the expedition the latter did not prove so able a general and met with nothing but reverses although he was enabled to maintain a footing at antioch until assistance arrived from europe End of chapter one part seven recording by linda johnson